What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. What's up, everyone? My name is Maddie Schottenheimer. I'm here with Sterling Holmes. Uh, we have a lot to talk about, a lot going on, but welcome to the Arrowhead Addict Podcast. We're thrilled to have you. Hope you're happy to be here. Lots going on, Sterling. Lots going on. And we even have a special guest today. So we've got news, we've got views, we've got Tecmo Bowl legend, Chiefs, my favorite player of all time. Christian Okoye on the show a little later in a segment. But first, how are you, my friend? I'm doing good. I'm doing well. We'll finish the show after Christian Okoye. Stick around because we will talk about the Orlando Brown Jr. situation, what it means for the Chiefs, and how can they resolve the issue at left tackle. But I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. Can't complain. Maddie Schottenheimer is a great name for you. It really fits. Your hair is looking luscious. I'm heading to Chicago in a few days. Um, life is good. Life is good. That's good, man. That's good. I even have my Maddie Schottenheimer glasses. Don't they you seem? Do. They seem sort of from the era, right? Yeah. Oh, very, very much so. And by the way, I, I realized this as I'm getting older, my body is deteriorating, and I don't enjoy it. I went bowling. Uh, with Daniel Harms, and I bowled five games. And I've not bowled consistently since high school, right? That's a lot of games, dude. It's a lot of games. It's a lot of games. Uh, I got my ass kicked, and I threw up a 184. He's a very good bowler. That's not not very often I, you bowl a 184 and you lose by just a, uh, a bleep ton, if you will. Uh, but my elbow still hurts. You that was Saturday. Elbow. I have bowler's elbow. Like, it really hurts. It's extremely painful. Um, but this is the next step in the evolution of me being 28 going on 82. Dude, you can't eat like in your twenties. You're not even allowed to make these jokes. Are you? <laughs> it's happening, pal. It's happening. <laughs> you know, what doesn't hurt when you pop open a great cold bottle of KC beer. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, we should make that noise while you point to the neon sign. Folks, if you, uh, if you haven't already, you should know the Arrowhead Attic Podcast is brought to you by the fine folks and our good friends at the KC Beer Company. Uh, KC Beer Co. is the largest locally owned brewery in Kansas City, and they're the only brewery in KC to focus on the Bavarian beer purity laws of 1516 using only four ingredients, malt, hops, water, yeast. Look, we've been there several times. We love it. We are big champions of them. Even if they came out today and said, actually, we take back our sponsorship and we hate everyone associated with that show. Honestly, we'd still drink their beer because it's just so good. We'd also be very sad because they're good people and we'd wonder what we did wrong. But yeah, we love them. Do us a favor. Do us a big favor. Give them a shout out on Twitter if you if you if you see the red cartons, if you want to try them out, take us up on it. I just you're gonna love it. And then you'll thank us for it. Please thank us for it. Uh, and let them know that you heard about it here. It's always uh, great for them to make that connection with us. So if you're enjoying us, enjoy us with some good beer and uh, and yeah, then make everyone happy. So also, please drink responsibly, 21 and over. Uh, Sterling, what was the last uh, KC beer you drank, by the way? A Baltic Porter, big Baltic Porter guy. I think it is outstanding. But uh, I want to get into the wide receivers. We, we already mentioned we're going to finish the Orlando Brown Jr. conversation for after Christian Okoye. But wide receiver is a hot topic going on right now in Chiefs Kingdom. Uh, the Judas and the Schuster show, is he or is he not? How much do they believe in Kadarius Tony, McCole Hardman, in or out? Uh, where do you land as it currently sits as far as the wide receiver group for Kansas City going into next year? Well, let's, let's talk about the source real fast. James Palmer of NFL Network just came out with a tweet in the last hour saying – that the Chiefs' plans are for 2023 to bring back all of the targets that Mahomes had at season's end. And basically, he named that core of five pass catchers as the obvious Travis Kelsey up top, Marquez Valdez-Scantling coming back, Sky Moore in his second year growing into a bigger role. Then he said, then he said two shocking things. Kadarius Tony back, which is not a surprise, but then he said, and they see, and he said, the Chiefs see Tony as their number one receiver in 23. And then he said, the plan is to bring Juju Smith Schuster back. So I, yeah, there's a lot to talk about here. I'd love to get your take on what do you think about, like, when you think about that core. And then the idea of, yeah, let's bring that gang back together again, maybe minus a Justin Watson or something. Um, like, d- are you happy with that? Were you hoping for a bit of a shakeup? Um, curious about your take on the overall before we dive into, like, the individual updates he gave. Yeah, I like it. Uh, I'm a fan. I think that's what I would enjoy as well. Uh, that means no McCole Hardman, by the way. Hardman sounds like he would be on his way out. So you have a core of four wide receivers then, right? MVS, 
Tony, uh, Juju, and then Sky Moore. I yep. like that because Sky Moore is going to get some reps. Kadarius Tony, what we saw, he did show glimpses of a wide receiver one. Now the health will be a concern, but Judas Smith Schuster showed that he can be the leading guy, or the yep. leading wide receiver behind Travis Kelsey and make a major impact going close to what was it, 933 yards, right? I believe that's what it was at the top of my dome. Um, very good season. I like it. I don't think Juju's going to break the bank. All these other guys are under team control. You look in what MVS's contract is. Sure, you might not like the consistency factor, but if you look at the overall contract and the numbers for what the the wide receiver market currently is, it's probably a little bit less than what he might get on the open market, or at least it's fair value. If he has a connection with Mahomes, you keep him here. Uh, I, I see uh, guys like Chris Albright still have Justin Ross and John Ross on future deal. Uh, I think Justin Ross is more intriguing. I think John Ross, he's been in the NFL long enough. We kind of know who he is. Uh, Spade says add in Hopkins. That would be incredible. I'm not going full-blown Chiefs need a wide receiver one because they just showed they didn't need one to win the Super Bowl, although it would be very intriguing. Angry, drunken German said Hardman wasn't even mentioned in that conversation. You're right. That's yeah, what I was saying at, at the get-go. Hardman's gone. He's going to get paid somewhere else. Um, I like that four. I like that core of four with Travis Kelsey obviously still being your pillar as a receiver, a.k.a. tight end one, a.k.a. tight end one in the entire NFL. Yeah. I want to talk about the Tony angle and I want to talk about Juju angle here in a minute. But to me, when I read that and if that's the plan and if Juju, like, you know, Palmer saying this, assuming positive things about Juju and his side wanting to come back for a reasonable price, whatever. If that's the case, you go into the NFL draft needing nothing there at that position. Like it's a complete, you've taken care of your needs. You can take whatever the board gives you. You don't have to force like a major grab to get a future number one target. Although, so if you love, if you like a guy in the first, you can take him. If you want to wait until the second or third, like day two, like they did with Sky Moore, you can do that too. But bringing back Juju Smith-Schuster, having that level of confidence in Tony allows Brett Veach to not feel that pressure to add a pass catcher if they don't like the value there and to me that's the purpose of free agency fill up fill up your needs so you go into the draft just grabbing who you want versus you know reaching for for some hopeful immediate play um so even more from that standpoint i love it i love i love brett veach with draft freedom and this is what it gives him. what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas these ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Uh, when it comes to Juju Smith-Schuster specifically, you would have to imagine he would want to come back. Uh, I don't know if the team-friendly situation is as prevalent as folks like it to come out to, like folks believe in, right? Folks always say, well, let's take a team-friendly deal to come to Kansas City to win a ring. That's not really the case. We have not seen that over the past few seasons. Players like money. Players like to get paid. I think there's if it's a comparable deal, I think they'll they'll choose the team that they sure. can win a ring with. But if it's a large differential, I don't think that they're going to take that deal just to win a ring. Juju just won a ring, but he's talking smack on Twitter. 
He's been hyping up that ring. He's going after the Eagles players. He, he's uh, on fire on TikTok, right? That sounds like a guy who, who's coming back. I don't think he would be doing that if he was not coming back. Looking up his spot track number, the AAV for him is $14.6 million per year, which breaks down to his market value being four year, just over $58 million total. Would you bring him back for that number? I think that's in the ballpark. I, I mean, I'd, I'd like to think that he would be a little bit cheaper than that, but at the same time, he has earned, you know, he's he's been through some lean years to prove what he can do. I don't think that's entirely unreasonable a, a, at all for where the Chiefs are at. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm amenable to that, you? I, yeah, looking at some of the comparable players for him, right? Uh, Allen Robinson at the time, not what he did with the Rams but when he was coming off those good years with the Bears, signed a three-year, $46.5 million contract at age 28. Hunter Renfro signed a two-year, just over $32 million contract at age 26. Robbie Anderson, two-year, $29.5 million at age 28. And then Christian Kirk, four years, 72 at age 25. I think Hunter Renfro is a pretty good comp. I know it's a little different because Renfro is uh, predominantly in the slot, right? Um, You can see Juju all over. But I think it's a good comp, about that 16 million, 15 million per year. That feels about in range for what Juju Smith-Schuster would receive, just based, again, on the wide receiver market being uh, inflated. It really is. And I do think in a few seasons we're going to start seeing that market go down, not quite like running backs, but I think we'll start seeing so many good wide receivers, so many good rookie wide receivers around the NFL infiltrated into the uh, into the league and having success in year one. We'll start seeing that wide receiver market come down. But guess what? That's not going to happen this year. So I think that market for Juju will be very lush. Uh, so I think that four-year, $58 million is very much in line for what he will receive. And I hope it's here in Kansas City. Let's not forget what, what the Chiefs spend on their pass catchers is – it, you have to take into account what Travis Kelsey makes and the and the product that he delivers. Look, Travis Kelsey is underpaid by half or maybe even maybe even more than that. He like he should for what he provides, he should be making two two and a half times what he's currently costing the Chiefs. So when like adding in, you know, if if Smith Schuster appears to be maybe for some people, a couple more million a year than what they'd like. The truth is you're getting your your top pass catcher at half the value. So you, you've got some wiggle room there if you want to, like, go by some law of averages, like the average team spends X on their skill position players. The, the Chiefs are just all cheap right now, including the most productive veteran in the league. So, you know, I think you have room there to 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 keep – MBS like you want or, or not. Yeah. Um, and that all sounds great. Um, really quickly, the, the point on Travis Kelsey is a phenomenal one. If folks are wondering what he uh, is making, he made $14.3 million last year, which was behind George Kittle's 15 and just ahead of Dallas Goddard in his $14.25 million. Uh, it's pretty crazy when you look at how under 
underpaid uh, compared to value of these guys. Tight end is that one position that's not quite caught up. You look at quarterbacks, seeing what, uh, you know, Derek Carr, Geno Smith, Daniel Jones received today. You're looking at what wide receivers in that market's looking like, and yet the tight end market is not caught up. Uh, we're lucky here in Kansas City, right, going from Tony Gonzalez to Travis Kelsey. But I think eventually we'll start seeing that number climb up again. I'm still predicting eventually we'll see the wide receiver market eventually go down. Yeah, I mean, you know, what's just crazy, like I just looked up, like Michael Gallup's cap number is slightly less than Travis Kelsey's. I mean, like that's like that's how leveling that out works. It's, re- it's really just a phenomenal advantage that the Chiefs have to get that level of production on the field. It just happens to be from a tight end, and and Kelsey's kind of stuck within a great within a system that has always suppressed his um, earnings potential, fair or not. So um, he's helped push that envelope. But yeah, the Chiefs have definitely taken advantage of having that. Uh, Sterling, I want to ask you here as we're as we're talking about the receivers, Juju Smith Schuster. Now you know they say he's coming back. That's great. Um, or whatnot, but you also mentioned getting on TikTok, etc. Like, like I, I don't know. Like, I, I guess I'm curious for you. What's the feeling there? You know, I guess I want to think like about Tyron Matthew. Tyron Matthew was a fan favorite, uh, a team leader, whatever. And then there's all this interaction on social media, and some of that rapport, some of that like goodwill feeling kind of began to fade a bit and some of the fans turned. Mm -hmm. And I guess I wonder, do you think some of that could be in play for Juju Smith-Schuster? What's your take on that? Um, And, and is he kind of hurting his own cause there? Yeah, I hate it. I think it's, it's cringy. It's irritating. It's, it's why I don't, I don't get it. Like, like most people that do that stuff do it because they're trying to make money. They're trying to get some sort of following. They're trying to have sponsorships. Juju Smith-Schuster doesn't need that. He, he, he gets paid from the NFL. He gets paid good money to play football. That stuff, to me, makes no sense. I don't understand it, but it's his life. He can do what he chooses to do. I do think it, it does alienate some of the fan base, though, especially when you're going after guys on the Eagles, for the most part, who were very gracious and losing like you weren't hearing a whole bunch of complaints from James Bradbury. You weren't hearing him saying, yeah, that's a, that's a BS call. I didn't do that. But then you continuously go after him, not once, but multiple times. Like, yeah, of course you're gonna have teammates on the Eagles stick up for him. I don't blame them. You would hope the same thing would happen on the Kansas city side. I just don't understand it. Maybe I'm too old. I mean, I'm 28. I feel like this should be the target market for me, but this is just childish. I will say one thing. He didn't do it during the season. It wasn't yeah. like this was a big situation during the regular season where it was like, come on, Juju, get off this. That didn't happen. It was after the season ended, after they rose or uh, raised the Lombardi trophy, then he went to, to TikTok. Yeah. Okay, fine. As long as it doesn't affect, affect his play, I don't have a major issue, I guess. There's nothing negative interacting with the fans. There's nothing negative about other teammates. It is just him having fun and poking at opposing teams players if that's the ceiling of it and you're right it is the offseason i can i can roll with that let's switch gears here though to Kadarius tony tony is number one now tony's had some health problems but but 
here's my thoughts on that. And then I'd love your thoughts on Tony as number one and what potential you see in him. Some of those moves where he like even breaks his own ankles, so to speak, right? Like, like he's such a dynamic look target when you watch him. I'm, I wonder if some of this like injury prone idea around him will go away once he's like regularly working with the chiefs strength and conditioning staff uh, and, and some of their trainers. I know that whole report came out from the NFLPA just like giving them like a failing grade or something. But the truth is the chiefs had one of the healthiest teams overall this year. We see someone like Pat, uh, Mahomes able to like get over that ankle so quickly because there's some level of training there. And, you know, like Rick Burkholder was just named the trainer of the year a year ago. And then he gets thrown under a bus in a report. It's hard to know what to believe there, but if the proof is in the pudding that the chiefs are one of the healthier teams in the NFL, then couldn't it stand a reason that putting a guy like this in a system that, is going to focus on like stamina, endurance, long-term health, like good bounce back rates after a game to not allow like maybe hamstring injuries to occur in the first place, whatever. Um, I actually wonder if we'll see Kadarius Tony develop greater stamina and ability to like play a full season. What do you, what's your take on Tony and and all that? Uh, Did Sammy Watkins. Yeah. No, I, I, there, there's no indication in my mind, as much as I would like to believe that the Chiefs all of a sudden would have a better game plan for Kadarius Tony. They, sh- they sure might. I'm not saying it's not it's not impossible, but just all of a sudden believing uh, with no real founded expectations or no real founded data that this is going to be a better place for Tony to not get injured. I don't see that. I do think there was some truth to the report card. They broke down uh, around 40 players per team according to what the breakdown should be. Right. So we're not talking a small sample size. Uh, You know, some of the reports saying that they were scared to actually give injuries. It's not good. It was a scathing review. It was a scathing review. Now, I have some questions being behind an organization that punctures the lung of a quarterback. You know, that makes no sense to me. So there was obviously question marks. I don't know how much we're ever going to find out deep down um, the complete truth, but I don't see Tony all of a sudden being this super healthy guy here in Kansas City. I hope he is. We would love to see that happen, but part of me still has that, that the scared nature of Sammy Watkins, Sammy Watkins, Sammy Watkins. Sure. If that's true, then you have Juju back next year, maybe on a multi-year deal, but Valdez scaling becomes a lot more expensive in his third year. Sky Moore is totally unknown and an inexperienced player. And Tony could be injury prone. There is room there, potentially, if Veach likes it, for another top young target. Because in 2024, you could be talking about MVS is gone. You know, maybe they start to wonder about Juju like playing later into his career, whatever. Um, it's like a mix of a group that's like, stable and good and also you could add that extra like dynamic target if you want it 
Yeah, uh, and I see a lot of folks in the chat talking about Orlando Brown Jr. Again, we will get to Orlando Brown Jr. after the Christian Okoye interview that we will have because we do have some pretty strong thoughts on on Orlando Brown Jr. and we to give that the time uh, that it deserves. Uh, really quickly, though, sticking with wide receivers before we move on, if you look at the free agent class, so we know about the core four, right? If you want to call it the core four of Juju, Kadarius, uh, MVS, Skymore, right? If that's the core four, uh, we can stick with that. Now, you have Justin Ross, and if you want to say John Ross, uh, I don't believe it, but you can have that thought. Uh, you also have the rookie class, whoever the Chiefs draft. I will almost guarantee there will at least be a wide receiver drafted in this year's class. But if you want to look at a more veteran sure thing, the veteran wide receivers, Robert Woods, Nelson Aguilar, Sterling Shepard, uh, DJ Chark, Randall Cobb, Marvin Jones, Julio Jones, uh, Alan Lazard, uh, he'll probably be a high commodity. Jacoby Myers, uh, Jarvis Landry, Nikhil Harry. Um, there's not a whole bunch of guys that just jump at jump out at you. Even some of the more veteran guys like Aguilar, Robert Woods, Sterling Shepard, they all come with their own caveats. A lot of them injury, right? Yeah. Um, don't know your thoughts here, but is there any veteran that really stands out to you? Um, you know, I'd, I'd be on the lookout for Adam Thielen, uh, you know, joining that group as a potential cut. There's going to be a lot of roster cuts coming. There's going to be more. In, and even into the late summer, there's going to be like after the draft. Uh, I think this is a position where Veach can kind of wait. Yeah. Um, like we did on pass rusher with Melvin Ingram and then Carlos Dunlap. You can wait to add that veteran who wants to join a successful team who's going to sit out, who's going to sit out OTAs anyway. I mean, some of these guys are not going to report till training camp uh, as it is because they've been around and they know, and and they don't want to like work out for an extra three months if they don't have to. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I, I think that's what we end up seeing. I think we end up seeing the chiefs add a young guy. You've also got like Cornell Powell who looked much better last off season than he did his rookie year. He was a late bloomer at Clemson, a fifth-year senior who who finally broke through and got drafted. Um, you know, so it's also possible that a guy like that could surprise in his third year. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think that's what's gonna happen. Yeah. If you're looking at the the yards that this free agent wide receiver class has put up. Uh, Juju is far and away most yards at 933, second most of this free agent class, at least of the list I have pulled up in front of me, is Jacoby Myers with 804, Lazard 788, uh, and then Darius Slayton, the only other one over 700 with 724. So not a, a ton of big-name guys. But again, Chiefs aren't necessarily looking for a big-name wide receiver. So one of these veteran pieces – could make some sense. Uh, before we move on, I do want to say, if you want to do us a solid, go to FanDuel. FanDuel, promo code Arrowhead. Get a no-sweat-free bet up to $1,000. We all like free money. Get that. Come on now. $10 free de- uh, free deposit. Wow. $10 first deposit required. New customers only. 21 plus and present in Kansas. Gambling problem? 1-800-522-4700. Kansas. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com or in the description below. Uh, let's talk. There's two departures we want to talk about. We'll save Orlando Brown Jr. till after the Okoye segment. But uh, we're also saying goodbye this week. The Chiefs officially released Frank Clark. 
said goodbye with some nice tribute pieces on social media today. Um, let me ask you this, buddy. How um, I've never called you buddy before. I'm not your buddy guy. I don't know why. Well, we are buddies, but I don't know why I just called you that. I, maybe that's a, anyway, you don't seem, you don't seem to like that term of endearment. So I'll never use it again. Um, I can't believe I just said that. Hey buddy. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, let me ask you this. How will you remember Frank Clark um, and his tenure with the chiefs? Not one, but two, two okay. rings. End of the day, you play for Super Bowls. Yep. And he had major impacts in two Super Bowls. Was he overpaid based on regular season production? You bet your ass he was. <laughs> but did he show up and play like Bruce Smith in the playoffs? Yeah, he did. And there is something to that. You would like to have the consistent performance. You'd like to not have those stomach issues. But he fought through a lot. I mean, he did. Some was self-inflicted with the Uzi situation, right? I'm not saying this was all, you know, woe is me, woe is me. The stomach issue, not his fault. Uzi stuff was. But Frank Clark was instrumental in two Super Bowls. I don't know what happens if you don't bring him in. We don't know that answer. If you want to say any other guy could have done that, we don't know. But I do know what happens when he was playing two rings. That has to mean something. Yeah, I'm. I'm I'm with you. I've I've seen the question floated about whether or not he's going to be in the Ring of Honor someday, based upon like his postseason production, delivering the two rings. What's clear is what's clear is his Chiefs teammates love him. Andy Reid loves him. The front office loves him. Spags loves him. Um, you know, the only question there is like the production just doesn't match. The output, and for a long time, there was a cloud around Frank Clark that was not about postseason production. It was about off the field issues. It was about his like albatross of a contract. I I'll say this: Frank did an incredible job turning around the messaging around him. Like a year ago, the idea of bringing back Frank Clark was like. I mean, I guess if they like, hopefully they can, but most people were like, how do we get out from under this crazy contract? And then a year later, we're talking about, damn, I love that guy. What a fierce competitor. Well, you know, like that's an incredible turnaround in messaging and, you know, winning cures everything. But um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see kind of how history remembers him. If this is it and he does not come back on like some newly agreed upon deal. And I'm not saying that he's never coming back. Let's be real now. His market might not be what he thinks is going to be. The Chiefs save $21 million against the cap. He is going to be 30 right? So the, the, the thought process probably is, hey, this is my last real chance at a payday. Now, he's made over $81 million in his NFL career. So you're probably sitting here saying, come on, man, you've made enough. But I get it. If you think this is your last chance, real chance probably in your lifetime to make a legitimate large payday, you're probably going to at least try and do it. So I think that's his thought process. Uh, my thought originally was he was going to transition into the Melvin Ingram, the Carlos Dunlap role, right? I thought he was going to be a guy who, as you mentioned, went from 69% of snaps this year, and he's going to drop down to maybe 40%, 35% in the upcoming seasons. I'm sure that has some sort of consideration when it came to him not coming back, at least at this current moment, right? If they told him, hey, Frank, we love you, but you're, you're, you're going to be a backup. 
and you're going to be paid like a backup because Mike Dana, we, we've, we've liked what we've seen from him. We're also going to draft a guy early on in the draft. We want him to start alongside George Karloftis, and you're going to be the, the, the veteran leader now, as in Carlos Dunlap for Melvin Ingram. That probably didn't sit well with him. So he's going to take his chances, see what happens. But I would not uh, count out that he's not back in Kansas City the start of game one. Yeah, I I think that's a valid point. I also think um, his leadership and his championship experience, if I'm a team with with a bright young defense, I would love to bring him in and um, and allow him to really affect like, like the Jacksonville Jaguars. If I'm Doug Peterson, I'm very interested in bringing a guy like him alongside Josh Allen, alongside Trayvon Walker and saying, Hey, we've got a bright young team too. We've got a, we've got a quarterback who's getting it together. We're in this very easy division in the AFC South. Can you help us take things to the next level? Um, he's that kind of guy that I would try to import. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what kind of market uh, develops for him uh, that much for sure. Um, at this point, is he in the ring of honor for you? No, I don't think so. Sure. Um, probably just on the outside. Uh, is Tyron Matthew in the ring of honor for what he did? Uh, it's tough when you have – a lot of really good players, but in a relative short amount of time, right? From this current iteration, you're thinking at least Tyreek Hill, right? Even though he's gone, Tyreek Hill's there, Mahomes is there, uh, Travis Kelsey's there, Chris Jones is there. Um, How many guys are you going to put in? You know, how many guys are you going to put in? Uh, How many years is the cutoff in your mind of this has to be the cutoff of how many years played for the Chiefs to get in there? It's a tough situation. I think Frank Clark is right on the cusp but me personally, I think he's just on the outside looking in. Yeah. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense to me. And and uh, it'll be an interesting debate. If we go through another long – go ahead. I think Sean, really quickly in the chat, brought up a very good point. Frank was a good player and will be missed, but that's all not close to a player like Tom Bahali. I think it's a fair point. It's not Tom Bahali. It's not Justin Houston. He was on a more successful team for sure, but did he have the impact of those two guys, even of a Jared Allen? I don't, I don't think he did. Yeah, but the hard part about that, though, is what you will remember the most, let's say 20 years from now, is the Super Bowl. Like, those will be the clips that will be played. So we'll actually be playing more of Frank Clark's clips than we will Tom Bahali's clips, right? Mm, yeah. That makes it interesting to me. I, I totally agree with Sean. I just think there's something there. Uh, well, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Mm. Um, folks, we got a, we got a, we got a great special guest for you here. Um, I grew up watching like that's how literally how I became a Chiefs fan. 1987, 88, 89, watching Christian Okoye run over people. I thought it looked like like someone as big as a refrigerator running over other big people. And I thought as a little kid, that was the coolest freaking thing I'd ever seen. I decided then and there to like the NFL. And of course, then I like the Chiefs. And then here I am decades later. Uh, I've talked to Christian before. It's always a pleasure. He joined us earlier for a segment today that we recorded to talk to him about the Super Bowl and other things. Here's our conversation with legendary Chiefs running back, Christian Okoye. Hey, we're thrilled to welcome former Chiefs running back and my personal favorite player of all time, Christian Okoye, 
to the podcast today. Uh, Christian, how are you doing? You're, you're in California, right? Yes, I'm doing great. The sun just came out today. It's been very cold and snowing, even in California, of all places. <laughs> but uh, we welcome the sun. Uh, well, Christian, we're excited to chat with you for a few minutes here. Um, and and we just got to start with the fact that the Chiefs just won the second Super Bowl in the last four years. Like, where were you during the Super Bowl? And how was watching all of this happen like for you, like can you can you take us into your experience? Well, I was in I was in Phoenix the whole week and uh, to several interviews and listened to many so-called experts talking about taking the Super Bowl away from Kansas City and just demolishing our defense and keep telling them, you know, don't don't speak too fast now, just watch out and a uh, magical quarterback here and we have uh, some people who can playmakers in Kelsey and uh, so on so. You know, very special. Christian, uh, Sterling here. A question for you. With Isaiah Pacheco, seventh-round running back, you know, he was highly touted in the uh, the OTAs and in just the preseason, right? But no one really knew what was going to happen with Isaiah Pacheco, seventh-round guy. He was firmly entrenched behind Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Jarek McKinnon. What was his role going to look like? Well, as the season went on, he he started playing more and more. Clyde went down with injury, and he ran fierce. He ran tough. Reminded me a little bit running like you. What did you see from Isaiah Pacheco? I like Isaiah. I like his uh, don't give up attitude type thing. And, um, you know, just listening to what he went through and overcame, I can understand the way uh, uh, he's run- he runs with attitude. And you have to do that in order to succeed in this league. Uh, I just love them. And uh, knowing that uh, we have a running game in the Super Bowl, that is to say that uh, Kansas City Chiefs had a chance, and uh, we did. Christian, you had a chance to like run behind some incredible linemen. When you look at this team and the decisions they have to make this offseason, you know, the Chiefs just announced they're not going to use the tag on Orlando Brown Jr., and that's up in the air right now. But they do have some really incredible pieces with Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey, with Trey Smith inside. Like, what's your take on the line? And how do you think how do you think things are going to work out at tackle? You know, I don't know how things are going to work out, but selfishly, I I, will, I don't like to lose anybody. I, I like to I like to stay with him, but a lot of times it comes that if you're able to pay him, then you can keep him. But if you're not able to keep him, you know, then you have to his uh, his life uh, the way he wants it. And we have uh, we, you just have to let those players do their thing sometimes. And uh, at this point. Chiefs are not able to uh, come Clark and him, and they deserve more. You pay him, they can move on. That's how he, it, it works. I, I wouldn't want to lose him. Super Bowl, we need them. But business is business. On those third ones, those fourth and shorts, the Chiefs somehow had some issues all season long. You get them in third and eight, they're fine. But third and one, it felt like there were some struggles. At times, you felt like they would get too cute. Or do you? Or at times, do you wish, you know what, let me suit up. I will pick up those third and shorts. <laughs> I wish. I wish, man. I, you know, one of those things that uh, they're playing. Uh, because we didn't have that issue when I played. But uh, and that uh, it's a passing league now. So third and eight, you know, third and one, then you start trying to decide what are you going to, you know, to get the first down. But uh, with Pacheco being with next year, we can improve on the running game and uh, get some. God forbid if he gets hurt, you know, um, I wouldn't want him to get anybody else to back him up. So, yeah, we need help over there. 
Christian, you had you had this big claim to fame too with the popularity of the of the Tecmo Bowl game and and like a whole generation of fans sort of even knowing being like living out their dreams and playing you in that video game and like that was so iconic. I wanted to go back there just for a second because I wondered like when were you first aware that you were like this unstoppable force on this video game and that people were channeling their love for you in the game like through that like like do you remember when that first came out and that became such a big like a big thing? Well, I don't even remember when it came out, but when it when I retired it pop, more popular. You know, even today every time I uh, you know, people will bring the, uh, the the cartridge for me to sign, and uh, um, only once, and that was when uh, a few years back, Williams came out and did a story on that, and they brought the game out for me to play, so I so they can get their story. But uh, it was after I retired that I uh, kind of really take my bullies. Year over a year, so with Isaiah Pacheco, right, being a rookie now, he he should be firmly entrenched as the guy going forward. What improves as a running back? Is it your vision? Is it your patience? Um, what typically improves year over year from these young running backs? Well, first of all, um, it has to be um, being athletic means uh, when, when you get knocked down, you get right back up uh, is, uh, is needed for, for a running back. Uh, not on the field, then you're no good. Uh, that's where um, problems are. Uh, getting injured all the time, not being on the field. It's uh, I like Ebo Pelé. I like his running style. It's just that he gets injured. But Azaiko, being the guy that, uh, <laughs> you know, I just love watching him. He, you know, sometimes even when he's on the ground, his leg keeps kicking, you know. And I don't know how you improve on that. The only way you can improve on that is uh, have, have, give him some help, you know, um, so that... Uh, if anything, somebody backing him up. Christian, this is an odd time of year or a, even a hard time of year for a lot of NFL players as they wonder what's going to happen for them and and so many people that they love and that they've played with, um, like facing free agency and, and all of that. Can you take us into like those – like how well do you recall like the emotions of this time of year when you face – like similar circumstances in your own career? Well, you know, um, a lot of times you don't really worry about it um, because what's, whatever is going to happen will happen. And, uh, you know, the money to sign you, they will sign you. If they don't, then off you go. And to play for the Chiefs, only Chiefs that I played for. Um, so my teammates leave the team, go into different teams to play. And uh, they have and uh, business have to come and play. Uh, so this time right here, you keep you know the core of the team together. And uh, once the core of the team stays, um, little pieces here and there that you add uh, when you start, it, it will, will help. Well, Christian, hey, we appreciate, we know you have a, a time limit here. We, we, uh, we appreciate you stopping by here on the podcast. I just have to tell you, there's a service called Cameo where people can actually like get messages from you delivered to them. Yeah. And a bunch of my, a bunch of our writers got me a gift for Christmas of you saying like, Hey, Merry Christmas. Or maybe it was my birthday, which is around Christmas, whatever it was. 
So they get me this message from you. And I was like, oh, this is so great. I got a message from Krishna Koye. And then the next day, my wife surprised me and said, hey, I got you a cameo from Krishna Koye. And I was, and I said, oh, okay. Because I just had another one from you and she didn't know. And my, and my wife thought it was like the greatest gift ever, this really thoughtful thing. And she didn't know that I'd gotten one message from you the day before. And, uh, but let me ask you a question. Did you act surprised? You said, what? I tried. I tried. <laughs> I tried, but she, she saw right through it. And, uh, and it's still causing a little bit of fights in our marriage today. So uh -oh. I'm trying to work this out. I'm trying to work well, this out. If I said she is the best, okay? She is the best. That moment is everything. So... There you go. Yeah. I need, I need you to send her a message. That's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> Christian, thanks so much for stopping by. Man. Thank you. I just want to tell your listeners, I have an event going on every draft weekend, April 30th. We're going to have a roast. We're going to be roasting on the 30th. So go on my website, christianacoy.com right there. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Kansas City will be rocking for the right, uh, draft week. Sounds great. Sounds great, Christian. Thanks again for your time. Yeah, that was a lot of fun to chat with Christian. We appreciate him coming on the show. Um, well, well, I, I even have that. my Christian Okoye uh, celebrity roast and golf event humidor for my cigars. I didn't have a chance to ask him, uh, but I think this is just the coolest thing. It's Christian Okoye cigar humidor. <laughs> yeah, you're a bigger fan than me. I didn't. I didn't realize. You got back-to-back -back cameos, baby. You're you're the you actually are the biggest Christian Okoye fan I know. It's awesome. I am. I'm I'm a legit fan. If I would tattoo it, if I were into such things, like getting Christian Okoye tattoos, but I'm not. Um, so hey, we we want to talk about one of the big things that has everyone uh, stoked, conversational, excited, nervous in some way. The Chiefs announced earlier this week uh, or word got out that they were not going to use the franchise tag on Orlando Brown Jr., a move that was expected by almost all of us in Chiefs kingdom, even if it just meant controlling the leverage and the ability to keep him from the open market. Um, then this happens. Today was the Today was the deadline, and that news proved true which means that Orlando Brown Jr. is on track to hit free agency next week when the new league year opens. Um, there's a lot of worry, a lot of conjecture, a lot. It's important, I think, at this point to sift through like what we know and what we don't know. And one of the things I just wanted to get from you from the very top is like what are like when you heard that, what was your initial take? And have and have your thoughts on it changed? Kind of having a couple days to think about it. Uh, let me preface this by saying Brett Veach knows more than me. Brett Veach probably has a plan that we don't know. But my initial reaction was what confusion, utter confusion, and even now it's still slight confusion. Now here's why: Orlando Brown Jr. is not an elite left tackle. Whenever you say, where does he slide in? Most people say, top 10? But you ask it as a question. No one is sitting here being like, oh, yeah, Orlando Brown Jr. is a legitimate top five left tackle. I don't think he is. 
but I think he's a fine left tackle. Frankly, I think he's an above average left tackle. I think as the season went on, he improved. I think he got healthier. I think his connection with the rest of the offensive line improved as well. And maybe the Chiefs figured out a game plan to hide some of his deficiencies. Now, you might be asking yourself, why pay a left tackle that much money if he has to have help? I'm with you. I don't disagree. But the Chiefs are stuck between a rock and a hard place. You're drafting at 31. Drafting at 31 does not constitute a great spot to get in the league game one, week one starting left tackle. It just doesn't. You look at even top five left tackles drafted in the NFL consistently. It takes time. There's a ramp up period. Tackle and edge are the two positions you look at most and say there is a really big early on struggle period. It's just different in the NFL in the trenches than it is in college. There's not a great option. If you look at the free agent market, here we go. Free agent market, Orlando Brown Jr., Taylor Lewan, who's been injured the past three seasons. Yeah. Donovan Smith, who has been horrendous with Tampa this year. Donovan Smith, nice career in Tampa. If you want to say this was the outlier because everyone else on Tampa was banged up, I'll at least hear you out. But he's also getting up there in age, and he probably won't be cheap. Donovan Smith graded out on PFF as 56. Orlando Brown Jr. was 75. Now, I'm not saying PFF is end-all, be-all, right? We know this. But if you thought Orlando Brown Jr. struggled according to PFF, look at Donovan Smith. Not ideal. All right, now it gets even more fun. Eric Fisher. Kelvin Beecham. 41-year-old Jason Peters. And Dakota Dozier. That is your left tackle free agent market. Now, I know some folks want to talk about Laramie Tunsil. That's the most fun, right? Laramie Tunsil is the most fun. Uh, If you want to get into an actual Laramie Tunsil discussion, I'll get in there. But then you're also giving up draft capital and then paying him to be the highest left tackle in the NFL. If that's the way you want to go about it, I can understand the argument because now you're paying a legitimate left tackle, legitimate left tackle money. Don't forget the draft capital given up. Now, the reason why I'm confused about the franchise tag is if you want to draft a left tackle early on, 31, or even move up in the draft, I'm completely okay with that. But again, they take time to develop, and you want to have a contingency in place. And that was going to be Orlando Brown Jr. for one more season. So now I'm sitting here going, there has to be something else. Is there a trade in place? Because looking at that free agent class and looking at the typical ramp-up period for, for rookie left tackles, I don't think it's in the cards. Look, here's like, if you want to go with, well, what do we know about Brett Veach and left tackle, right? Like, like the proof is in the pudding. It's in his past actions. Brett Veach at left tackle went after the biggest dogs possible. He chased Trent Williams very, very publicly. Like it was, there was no secret. It's not like later on it was like, oh, we didn't know the Chiefs were after Trent Williams, but it turns out they were. It was like, no, at the time, the Chiefs were like basically putting out a sign outside of Arrowhead saying, we will rename this Trent Williams Field at Arrowhead Stadium if you will come here. It was it was plain as day, like Pete Davidson chasing after a model or something. It was that obvious, and it didn't work out, but – Brett Veach didn't hesitate to say, I have to have the best left tackle in the game to protect Patrick Mahomes. When he didn't get it, he could have drafted that year. He could have packaged picks to move up that year. He didn't. He went to the next best option 
and said, you've made the Pro Bowl twice on the right side. You just proved that you could at least play fine on the left side. Let's bring you in. And he traded again to get a well-known, established Pro Bowl player. Brett Veach's only proven actions at left tackle are to chase a well-known Pro Bowl player. That's it. Anything else is total conjecture. He's not going to sign Jermaine Illuminor or whatever Illuminor. He's not going to. He's not going to like draft Anton Harrison and throw him out there in Week One and say, "Hey, Patrick Mahomes, we've got your situation down. We're starting a rookie in Week One, right?" Like that stuff's not happening. He's not leaning on Lucas Niang going, "Hey, Lucas, are you healthy now? Is your patellar doing okay?" Like. He, they're either going to bring back Orlando, and they kind of already know this. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about that and the way it works in a second. Or he's going to chase Laramie Tunsil. Is that going to cost an arm and a leg? Yes. Has Brett Veach already proven he will pay an arm and a leg? Yes. So, I mean, you can hate it or you can love it. I get why you'd hate it because you're like, oh, no, draft capital and all that money and – then he's playing next to Joe Tooney and he makes a lot of money. And then Creed Humphrey's going to need a lot of money. I mean, like you can go down that road, but the truth is the chiefs have no bad contract right now. None, none. Tooney's it, right? They've gotten rid of so many highly paid players. We've already talked about Kelsey making half of what he should make. The chiefs are in prime financial position. Um, I, I think they either swing big for Tunsil which makes no sense to me why the Texans would hold on to him when they're doing a wholesale rebuild. Mm-hmm. Um, or honestly, I, and I think, I think this is the play. I think Orlando Brown jr. Comes back on a long-term deal. It's just didn't happen in time to avoid the franchise tag deadline and, and all that hubbub. And you're sitting here saying, well, they didn't do it because it was in good faith. Or maybe they want to see what other teams value Orlando Brown Jr. at as well. Now, the only issue with that is the Chicago Bears have an obscene amount of money. They also have the connection with Kansas City with Ryan Poles as the GM. If there was a spot that I believe Orlando Brown Jr. would fit and make some sense in, it would be Chicago. But I don't think overpaying him is the answer either. It's a really difficult situation. There's so much nuance in here. Um he reminds me in the best comp is of Trent Brown with the Patriots, right? Remember Trent ba- Brown with the Patriots and he wanted to get paid. It was the, the Raiders. Correct. If I'm not mistaken, the Raiders and he brutal. I mean, he was brutal. He signed that big deal. And what happened? Got cut and goes, Hey Patriots, I'll come back on a cheap deal. I'll do it. And I could see a similar situation happening with Orlando Brown jr. He gets paid couple seasons. Next thing you know, that contract's not working out as well as they thought it would. He comes back to Kansas City. I think Orlando Brown Jr., again, he slides in at the, the 8 to 10 left tackle range. But paying him as top three, the Chiefs don't like giving out these contracts. They just don't. They're not going to overpay guys. They haven't had to. I, I don't think Joe Tooney, by the way, is going to – move to left tackle. I think that's a non-starter. I don't think you move him to left tackle and all of a sudden you get worse at two positions. I don't think Joe Tooney over a full season would be better at left tackle than Orlando Brown Jr. is. And whoever's replacing him at left guard will not be as good as Joe Tooney. I don't see that happening. Yeah. I I mean, that sounds good like in Madden or something. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's just not going to happen here. 
look, here's what the Chiefs could not give him the franchise tag because that $19.9 million would have immediately been accounted for. So at that point, going into next week, the Chiefs would have no money. They have no money. So there's every reason for Brett Veach to kick the can down the road and to say, hey, look, feel free to test the market. Orlando likes it here, and the Chiefs like Orlando. Everyone knows it. So you keep those channels open and go, feel free to explore. We'll keep talking. Keep us in the loop. We'll be ready to sign a deal down the road, but we've got to have cash available right now. Uh, since you, since we couldn't work out something right now, and we've got we got to talk about it over more time, we need some of that cash available right now, and then we can get back to a long term extension because a long term extension for Orlando Brown is going to cost maybe five million dollars in the first year, six million, like it's always a minor amount, and then and then it inflates like crazy. So that's why Orlando's not signing now, um, or that that's why they're not taking the the franchise tag right now uh, because it, it just doesn't make financial sense in the order of NFL deadlines and the activity that's coming up. So honestly, I, th- I think it's, it's kind of like, I think it's 90% that he's back on yeah. a long-term deal and 10% tonsillectomy. Yeah. Like that's, like that's what I think. What's funny is I, I said 70% he's back and it seems like you and I are in the minority here of, a long-term extension will be the most uh, simple solution. Uh, I think it behooves both parties. There's your behoove of the day. You're welcome, everyone. Um, again, the free agent class makes me very scared. It makes me extremely scared. That's where I'm at. The Look, the only other play I could see is if the New York Jets were tired of the Mackay Becton experiment. He's got one year left on his deal, and that team that controls him this year could also um, get him next year on a club option because he's a first-rounder. You could control that, and that would be about $15 million. He's about $5 million right now, but he's hardly played the last two years. But but he's still only 23, right? Um, he's a he's a top-10 tackle. He's a mammoth dude. Um, and – Brett Veach likes to buy, like take these, uh, like buying players at their lowest and hoping that they can get a return on the original potential there. So, yeah, I, I, um, you know, if there's like a curveball to be had, maybe you go to the New York Jets and say, hey, how about a, how about a third, how about a second round pick and a, and a sixth for Becton? And, and you take a, Take a chance on a former top ten tackle. Maybe, maybe that's it. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm playing Madden here myself. I don't know, but I have a very, very hard time believing Brett Veach is going to kick his shoes up and say, "A number thirty one, give me my next left tackle." I just don't think that's happening. Yeah, a hundred percent agree. Um, I'm intrigued to watch this play out. Uh, the Chiefs are still in a great position. The Chiefs are, are not like other teams around the NFL who don't have the quarterback. They have the hardest position figured out. And look around the NFL right now at some of the quarterback contracts given out. Look at Daniel Jones. Look at Derek Carr. Look at Geno Smith. You sit back and say, this is the best contract in football. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's really amazing. I, when the Giants put the franchise tag on Barkley, 
and sign Daniel Jones to 40 per year as their quarterback halfback duo. I just thought, what? And they're a winning team. They're a winning young team, let alone like somebody's a, anyway. It's Welcome to the NFC. <laughs> just, just freaking bananas. Uh, you know what we need right now? We need a dose of Richard. Richard, where are you at, my friend? I'm right here, gentlemen. And here's the obligated Casey beer. Dude, nice. Yeah, none of you guys have it. Stop. No, that's not Casey beer. He's holding up a piece of paper for the audio listeners. He's holding a piece of beer. He doesn't have beer. Sorry. I've got the beer. I love it. I love it. Uh, folks, we end every show with what we call the must list on Tuesdays. Sterling, Richard, and myself come up with something we just like to recommend for the sake of recommendations. Of the trio here, who wants to go first this week? Oh, Richard's, Richard's pointing at me. And again, I will give the obligatory for the audio listeners. You're welcome, Richard. Uh, mine is Everybody Once by The Struts. I like The Struts. Big fan of The Struts. This was their first album, I believe. And it was really, really solid. Love to see The Struts. Don't believe I've ever seen them in concert before. Um, but yeah, a fan of them. So I'll, I'll recommend The Struts. Oh yeah. That seemed like a half-hearted recommendation. What do you mean? It's it's a good band. It's not my favorite band. I'm not gonna say I'm going out of the way, but like I like the struts. So it's not your Yeah, it's my it's my must check it out if you're into newer rock music. Newer rock music slash I don't know, maybe alternative rock. A little little combo. Solid, solid. Uh I'll go because I want to make Richard clean the whole thing up for us since that's what he does. We just said that. So the Oscars are next week, and I tend to watch the Oscars and try to like watch as many of the movies as I can. And uh, we just saw, we just watched a movie called Women Talking, which is uh, like a it's a look at like uh, like a cult, like almost like an Amish Mennonite kind of thing where women were like treated poorly and they try to escape this horrible scenario. And it's like it's a fascinating discussion on like power and forgiveness and and anyway, it's a powerful film if that's your thing. Such dramas. Uh, it's got a crazy good ensemble from Francis McDormand to Rooney Mara to all kinds of people. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, we loved it. So I'll throw that out there. Richard, what about you? All right. Here, here we go. Left field. Uh, pulled this out last minute. We're going to recommend 2000. I'm hiding this one. 2012's uh, graphic novel written by Sean Murphy and illustrated by him. It's called Punk Rock Jesus. I'm going to give you a quick uh, synopsis here. It's 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 going to be a little touchy and probably anger a few. Uh, you've got a multimedia corporation who decides to clone Jesus using DNA from the Shroud of Turin, and they want to create a reality show out of his birth and his life, kind of like Truman Show. So you end up watching a young 2.0 Jesus grow up, and he has a bodyguard who is a former Irish Republican Army terrorist soldier, I guess you could say, who teaches him about punk rock, specifically Irish punk rock. So Jesus becomes anti-establishment. He becomes an outsider. He does not want to be the person he was meant to be. It's a really heartbreaking, uh, awesome graphic novel. Check it out. Punk rock Jesus. I think Jesus was already punk rock, right? I mean, I agree. So, I mean, he just he just embraces his full punk rockness and starts yeah. listening to Stiff Little Fingers and stuff like that. So, yeah. Dude, I have never once, once understood Richard's must list. It's incredible. It's like a fun game I play every single time of what's it going to be. And every time it's something just, just out there. You think Jesus you think yeah, you, you think, oh, no, I can't top the last one, and it does. I love it, man. 
This was the Arrowhead Addict Podcast with Matt Connor, Richard. I am Sterling Holmes. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us, for commenting. Uh, we really do appreciate it. I will be back tomorrow with Adam Best from 4.30 to 5.30. Thank you to Christian Okoye. That was incredible having uh, some of his time talking to him. Love hearing his thoughts uh, as well as his thoughts on Isaiah Pacheco. Thank you to Casey Beer. Thank you to Richard for drinking a pure pills from Casey Beer. Thank you to Matt Connor for having glorious hair and Marty Schottenheimer glasses. Until next time, we are out. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.